Good morning. My name is Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, and uh, I'm get hope. I'm guessing you're hoping the Jets bring the sledgehammer tonight in Nashville. I'm hoping. I'm hopeful. You can talk all you want about the trends and the, you know, no team has won or lost two games in a row, the back and forth, and the fact that uh, either team or both teams have won twice and the other's building. All that goes out the window tonight. It's one game, winner takes all. Uh, I know a lot of people are nervous and excited about it at the same time. I know there's a little bit of a movement to, for people to hang their white jerseys in their windows around town as a show of support for the Jets. Oh, neat. A couple different things going on. Seen, uh, boy, just a ton of Go Jets Go signage. I hope that if the Jets don't manage to pull things off, that people will view this as a massive disappointment. Their season has been absolutely incredible to this point. In my mind, win or lose, it's been a gigantic step forward for this franchise. That's not saying I'm okay with them losing tonight by any stretch of the imagination. I just hope that the excitement and everything that has been built over the last several months and and in particular the last few weeks with the, the pride that people are showing in Winnipeg and how this is bringing us all together. I hope that doesn't dissipate and disappear uh, on the merit of potentially of one loss because unless they win the Stanley Cup at some point, they are going to find themselves out of the playoffs. Yeah. Well, I I remember you you just said it yesterday that uh, remember how the season started. It was early too and I do remember seeing there were a whole bunch of Facebook posts where people were genuinely upset and mad. I, some of them were sh- clearly tongue-in-cheek, fire the coach, fire the coach, but I know that there were some diehard Jets fans who were sounding the alarm awfully early. So the fact that the Jets have now reached where they or gotten to where they have gotten, I think is quite incredible. And it's uh, in terms of uh, professional ice hockey franchise in Winnipeg, at least at this level, it's it's unprecedented at the, in the, the NHL level, and it's exciting. And you don't need to be a, a, a hockey expert to understand how good this team is. You took me to a game uh, against Anaheim in March after we uh, went to the CFL week, Mark CFL week at the convention center, and even I could tell. I mean, they what did they outshoot them, like 50 to... 10 or something crazy like that? You might have been at the most dominant game the Jets played all season in terms of puck control shot, uh, the shot clock and all the things that they played almost a perfect game that night. You saw the very best of the Winnipeg Jets that night and it's an indication of what they're capable of doing uh, to a lot of teams. Probably not the Nashville Predators, not likely at Bridgestone Arena, but one never knows and... Oh my goodness! Can we just uh, can we just get on with it? Like we hit fast forward. I'd like it to be seven oh seven and have a puck drop tonight, please. It really is like Christmas morning uh, for yeah, Greg and for all is. Winnipeg Jets diehard fans. At least it's seven o'clock and not eight thirty, right? Yes, yes. Could you handle another eight thirty start? Well, I'd have no choice, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Manitoba Moose as well. They're uh, they're in tough. They went down <sighs> again to the uh, the Rockford Ice Hogs yes. in the second round of their Calder Cup playoff series in the AHL. So the Moose are down three games to none in that. So that's going to be tough, but not insurmountable. I was referencing a lot of the Go Jets goes in the windows and uh, people hanging their jerseys in the window. I saw spray painted on a piece of 
plywood downtown, making my way to work this morning. Go Jets, go at a construction site. Nice. Lots of the digital signs. And then I saw this on my Twitter feed last night. Someone in London, England, posting a picture of a loft on the waterfront somewhere in London uh, with a big Jets logo. Go Jets, go in the window there in London, England. So uh, That's crazy. It's a worldwide phenomena. Yeah, thing. And I see that uh, somebody texted... uh, a, a screen grab of that, so thank you very much. Uh, should I address this this text here that was sent from Scott? Because he was he was <laughs> hounding me the other day yes. that I wasn't wearing my Jets. I don't I don't own a Winnipeg Jets jersey. Okay, I don't know if that's blasphemy. The only hockey jersey I, I own is for the San Francisco Spiders, uh, a long defunct team from the International Hockey League. It's which a great is great jersey, Brat. Yeah, it is a great jersey. I bought it uh, some twenty years ago, uh, but I do have the the whiteout T-shirt. Uh, that was uh, brought to the station by the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, no, Scott, I, I didn't wear it. I have a thing to go to after the show today. I'm actually going to the Assiniboia Downs for their uh, season launch slash lunch party. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so no, I didn't wear the... Am I coming with you to that? You can come if you want. <laughs> Greg's wearing a jersey. Greg is wearing the blue jersey. I'm wearing my Bufflin jersey today. I'll wear my uh, Shifley jersey to the arena tonight. I'm actually going to the whiteout party tonight with my buddy Rob. So we can either all cry together or jump up and down together. Hey, it looks as though I'm one of the chosen. Greg is one of the chosen few. <laughs> well, not few, but well, sixty yeah. percent. That's a pretty good yeah. group to be in. It's it's a not a, a totally an exclusive club, but it's a pretty good club. So, are you suggesting the the government is getting ready to call the herd? I'm just saying. <laughs> I got the alert. You did not. So I did not get it. I suggest somebody wants me around for the long term. At least that's the way I'm playing it out in my head. What network are you on? I'm on Rogers. I'm on Rogers as well, and mm. uh, so there was there was plot thickens. There was you know that uh, the infrastructure minister minister was saying, hey, this is a this is a telus, a mostly a telus issue. But I was on Rogers. Now I don't know if it's because, like I went I went to it was at Birds Hill Park yesterday for a picnic on in in, in the cloudy cold wind. Let's go for a picnic, but. We so, but that's it's not like we're in the middle of nowhere. We were just mm-hmm. outside the city. Mm-hmm. I had a full signal, just didn't get it, and I was waiting. Maybe it would come after I got back into the city, but no, it just never showed up. So I actually got it twice. My phone was at. You know what though? My phone was acting really weird yesterday afternoon to the point where I needed like it, it almost froze. So I'm wondering if something tried to come in and failed. And it kind of just mucked up my phone because yeah. it needed a full reboot. Maybe uh, it was your device. Maybe not a network uh, issue at all. But in the event that uh, there's a 2012 world catastrophe, uh, are you so because you got it, you're one of the 60 percent. Those you'll, you're going to get on the arc. <laughs> you reminded it, me of that movie. Was it 2012? Was it called? It was 2012. Yeah, that was just the name of the movie, right? Yeah. John Cusack? John Cusack. My boy, John Cusack. I love John Cusack. Hey, and speaking of these alerts, at least one of my friends uh, that goes to Israel quite often got an alert on his phone last night about the missile launches from Syria into Israel. So, uh, you know, halfway around the world, he's getting that alert and less than or or just (laughs) barely half of us are getting an alert that's that's supposed to save us from tornadoes. Uh, flood, wildfire, and and who knows what else. So, uh, you, guys, it, it, those of you working, guys and gals working on this system here in Canada, you might want to go to Israel and see how it's done. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. 
Thursday morning, I guess it's another Jets miss. <laughs> One more. Why not? Let's have a few more before it all ends. Game seven tonight at seven o'clock. Predators hosting our own Winnipeg Jets in uh, the seventh game of the Central Division Championship Western Conference semifinal. A lot of people were worked up. Because on Ticketmaster yesterday, it was showing that uh, games one and two were between uh, Nashville and Vegas. Whoops. Uh Oh, jumping the gun a little bit there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that's a, that's a symbolic thing and that the karma will turn around and uh, bite some folks uh, exactly where they ought to be bitten. Oh. It's just a hope of mine. May the odds be ever in the Jets' favor. Indeed. Uh, if you'd like to reach out, sending uh, lots of great ideas and uh, conversation about the Jets, we have an email from uh, Dennis we'll read for you a little bit later on. He thinks we need to celebrate no matter what. We'll share that with you. You can send me an email, gmac at cjob.com, or Brett an email at brett at cjob.com. When the city and Winnipeg Police Service announced it would abandon its headquarters at the Public Safety Building Complex on Princess Street, It was supposed to cost $130 million to retrofit the former main post office on Graham Avenue and create a new state-of-the-art home for police. But to this point, that project has cost at least $214 million. When a business deal goes sideways, court action is always a recourse. Well, maybe not always. In this case, the city is unhappy with the workmanship and cost overruns involved in the project. It appears... As though the only recourse it has against the contractors, Caspian Construction, as well as AAR consultants, is arbitration. During a conversation with Julie Buckingham and Richard Cluche yesterday afternoon on the news, Brian Bowman laid things out. It's not uncommon for like uh, P3 uh, agreements with other levels of government to have uh, arbitration mechanisms rather than allowing governments to sue each other. But from what I've been advised from the the public service and and based on what I've seen over the last three and a half years here, um, it is uncommon for a government to agree in advance to uh, opt out of its ability to to sue. And so to to tie its hands and and really uh, require arbitration uh, is something that I I haven't seen. And from what I'm advised, it's not common, Um, but it is the mechanism that we have. And and we're going to pursue vigorously that that arbitration mechanism um, in relation to Caspian as well as AAR. Todd McKay of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation says the meter is still running. Oh, I think taxpayers have to be hot about this. I mean, first of all, you've got the uh, the money in play. You know, a budget of uh, two hundred or one hundred and thirty million dollars. It's well north of uh, $200 million when the final bill comes in, except that it's not the final bill. We've got all kinds of problems with the construction. Of course, you've got financing costs on top of that. Now to find out uh, that, you know, in essence, uh, the, the city signed a dumb contract that gives them little leverage to go after uh, those who built this uh, and in terms of rectifying uh, bad uh, workmanship, man. <laughs> Did they do anything right on this deal is starting to be the question. This is really frustrating. Taxpayers are paying through the nose on this thing, and we need to to see some real serious effort in terms of getting to the bottom of this and holding people responsible. Now, Mayor Brian Bowman didn't sign this deal. He wasn't at the helm when this decision was made, but McKay wonders out loud, who, who did sign this deal? Yeah, well, you know what, though? He signed up for the job, and it's uh, it's tough in this situation. Certainly, he wasn't the one there doing it, but it is his job to clean it up. And it's really frustrating. You know, when you're looking at the reports here 
when city officials aren't sure who signed uh, this contract, how can this be? I mean, you can see the signatures on the Declaration of Independence. Where is the contract here? What in the world was City Hall doing at that time? Was it running on post-it notes? We need answers to this. Certainly the RCMP are doing their job in terms of dealing with the criminality. But incompetence costs taxpayers a lot of money, too, and it seems like we've got incompetence in spades on this project. As the mayor points out, this project is already under the scrutiny of the RCMP. No charges have resulted in any of those investigations to this point. You know, the RCMP are doing their important work. The sooner they can they can finish, obviously, the better, but we support, uh, support them. They are with respect to different matters. I mean, the RCMP are investigating potential criminal, criminality. That's not what this is involving. Regardless of criminal investigations, the limitations of the recourse mechanism, Todd McKay would like to see a greater sense of urgency in this matter. While the current mayor is not uh, directly responsible for what happened in the past, he is responsible for pinpointing what went wrong and explaining to taxpayers how he's going to make sure that that never happens again. In this case, we have city officials not even sure who signed off on this. They can't understand uh, why uh, why the city doesn't have recourse uh, to the courts to, to right these wrongs. But what guarantee that we even know what lessons City Hall needs to learn, let alone whether they've learned them, whether they're going to fix them for the future. I think we need to see a little more urgency on this. You know, I, I, I sympathize with the mayor in that uh, he's stuck with a, a big mess on this and not all of it's his fault. But we need more of a shrug in terms of making sure taxpayers are protected in the future. Now, the mayor of Winnipeg will join us in studio at 745 to discuss a variety of issues, including what is happening with the growth slash impact fees collected thus far. About $8 million that are in trust. So we'll, we'll find out what the plan is to get the ball rolling on making sure that money can be spent. So as I mentioned... Want to know, have you got a few things you do or you'd like to do before you kick the bucket? Way! The weapon kicked the bucket! You're not alone. Global News reporter Diana Foxall explains why. 59% of Canadians have a bucket list, according to a recent survey by Intercontinental Hotels Group. And the vast majority involve Canadian experiences, like completing the edge walk at the CN Tower or crossing the Capilano Suspension Bridge in Vancouver. Here in Winnipeg, there were two items making the top 25. The Canadian Museum for Human Rights comes in at number 24, followed by seeing the polar bears at Assiniboine Park Zoo. But the poll shows that 91% of those with that wish list won't accomplish any of their goals. Many cite cost as being the number one factor preventing them from doing so, followed by work responsibilities. Diana Foxall, Global News. So today we're having coffee talking about our top bucket list items. And Shanley Vidal, why don't we start with you? Because you've actually had a bit of a, you know, you, you've already taken one trip this year. You're taking another exciting trip soon. So are you are these bucket list items that you're scratching off as we speak? Uh, well, I'm taking a trip this, uh, yeah, later this month. I'm going to be in Hawaii. So it's actually going to be an extra fun bucket list item that I'm crossing off my list because something that I really, really want to do is because I really love cats, I want to go to the Lanai Cat Sanctuary. It has 600 cats that are free roaming and are taken care of, and you can visit visit this place free of charge. You can cuddle the cats, feed them treats, play with them. It's just heaven to me. So I am basically going to Hawaii for the sole purpose to visit this cat sanctuary. That's not uh, near Kilauea at all. Uh, actually, it's running from a volcano on well, your bucket it's list? Funny thing. <laughs> it's, it's funny thing. That's not on my bucket list, but I may be right. I'm actually going to be going to the Big Island, because uh, I'm going to be going to four separate islands uh, 
uh, Oahu, Maui, Lanai, and then, because uh, I have a roller derby tournament to do, I'm going to be at the Big Island in, in, uh, in Hilo, which should be okay. You know, it should be far enough away from, from the volcano, but... We'll see. Roller derby in Hawaii. You you you, you folks really pick uh, hard places to. You know, to, it's a hard knock sport, isn't it? It is. You know, my boyfriend was going, and I thought, you know what? I'm if I come with you, I'm only going to come if we can go to that Cat Island. <laughs> I said to my boyfriend, who suffers from severe asthma, and he said, okay. Well, you know, solo. solo. As, uh, as someone I'm, who also enjoys cats, when I looked at the video for it, it looks it does look like a lot of fun. It, it is. I'm so excited. Okay. I may die of happiness. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Moore, bucket list item? Uh, go ahead, Bronner, say it. Closest to the kicking the bucket. I know oh, you no, want no, to. No, I know no. you want to. No, modern uh, technology is medical science. You'll live forever, Kelly. <laughs> well, I have, three, there. I have three things that uh, I want to uh, tick off the bucket list. Uh, number one on that list would be to go to Augusta, Georgia, and watch the Masters Tournament. Plant my feet firmly on the sod at Amen Corner. Uh, number two would be taking in a baseball game at Wrigley Field. I actually had a chance. I can't believe you haven't done that. Oh, I'm kicking myself in the bucket because in 98, I had a chance to go when I was doing the play-by-play for the Moose and it, stayed back in the hotel and did prep. Yeah. In 98. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the third item uh, would be to go to the Grand Ole Opry. And, in Nashville, uh, yeah, in Nashville, and uh, and watch a live show there. Doesn't matter who's on the stage. I I wouldn't mind it at all. That's was, a pretty good list, Kelly. Yeah, I it's like your list. list too. It's a doable list. Yeah, Absolutely, very doable. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing like Wrigley. It's amazing. I I was there for the first time, September second of '98. Ironically oh, wow. enough. Yeah. And this the, was uh, in April of '98. The big so, chase, yeah. the big chase between McGuire and Sosa. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. how about uh, you, Jerry? Uh, I had a hard time uh, coming up with just three things, so uh, uh, in no particular order, I'd love to just appear in a Superman movie, just somewhere in the background, you know, is it, I can, so I can look at the movie and go, hey, there's me, right, right, the third guy behind That's that guy cool. over there. That's me. So I'd like to do that. Uh, I'd love to learn how to fence. It's something I, I've always wanted to Neat. do, but I've never had the time to do it. So before before I kick it. I want to learn to fence. All right, on God. I have a number for the Manitoba Fencing Association. I'm going to pass <laughs> That's right. To you. Yeah. I think we've had that. We had them on our uh, show, our yeah. afternoon show. Fencing one time. is fun. I used to do that in uh, summer camp at Did Bernie, really? Bernie Wolf School. Cool. Yeah, I yeah. think it would be really cool. It is. Fun. All right, you get to wear a neat mask. Yes. Yeah, I think it's all about the mask. It is. The mask is cool because you can't see the person's face. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, the third thing, I'd I'd love to visit the St. James Gate uh, Brewery in Dublin and uh, the Rochefort Brewery in uh, Rochefort, Belgium. Uh, That's four things. Uh, No, that would be the same trip. One trip. Oh, okay, gotcha. Jeff Braun? I'll go on that trip with Jerry. So on my list, I I wrote go to Europe because I've never been there. Are you kidding? You wrote go to Europe Yeah. in those words. Because that's the first thing on my list. Go to Europe. (laughs) That's what you both put on your list. (laughs) The couch potatoes are going to Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Next week on a very special episode. And here's an an easy way to get to Europe. Okay, if you go to the Maritimes, drive all through the Maritimes, you can drive across the Confederation Bridge while you're there. That's actually one of my items. And then you can take the ferry. The Confederation Bridge. Confederation okay. It's the, it's yeah. the largest, longest bridge that over ice-covered waters in the world. Cool. And you can take the ferry to uh, uh, St. Pierre and, and uh, Miquelon, that the French islands. That does not count as going to Europe. It's still Europe. Europe. <laughs> <laughs> European possession. I, I like how you think, though. Uh, I like that. 
Uh, I also Charlie. wrote uh, Live in a House because I'm sick of living in a house. <laughs> I'd like to live in a house again. <laughs> Okay. Condo apartment living, you know, it, it's mm. fine. It gets old. It has its charms. But And the uh, third thing I wrote is uh, walk a half marathon. I always intend to do that, but I, I never walk get around to do it. Walk a half marathon. Because yeah. you know you couldn't run it. Is oh, that it? God, no. Not Susan says win the lotto, and then that way I can do the entire bucket list. I think that's a good one. Brett, other than go to Europe? Uh, well, specifically in Europe, I'd like to go to places like Belgium, uh, Switzerland, Scandinavian countries as well. Uh, but for a Canadian experience for me, I'd like to golf somewhere in Western Canada where I'm surrounded by uh, mountains. You know, I'm so used to everything being mostly flat here. There are some courses, obviously, with some nice scenery, but I'd like to to play in the mountains. That'd be cool. Kananaskis. Go to Kananaskis. That's, that's, uh, yeah. well, that seems to be the one that keeps popping up, but yeah. there is, there's a course called Grey Wolf in a spot mm, called yes. Panorama BC. Yes. And it has beautiful. a par three where you hit over, like you're on one side of a cliff and the green is on the other side. I don't even know how you get to the green, but it looks cool. Uh, so that's 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 probably the the bucket list course. I have here also dunk a basketball because I couldn't do it when I was twenty. But <laughs> I I couldn't do it when I was twenty because I was too lazy to do the work to be able to gain the strength to dunk a basketball. So now that I'm forty, I think I should probably scratch that off the list. So maybe I'll just follow uh, Jerry and do the learning thing. I'd like to learn how to play drums or the piano. Oh, that's a hey, yeah. right on. That's a clarinet. Clarinet. very doable. Yeah, I yeah. played clarinet and band, and I always regretted not playing the drums. One of our listeners says he has uh, pliers and a hammer if you want to learn to start fencing. <laughs> <laughs> I think he means chi- chain link fencing, but uh, what about getting illegal objects too? You can fence those. <laughs> yeah, that's really that's a good point. Yeah. What about so, you, Mackling? You've already done so much. Well, I want to. I want to, and I'm, these are not in my control, but I want to see the Jets win a Stanley Cup and the Bombers win a Grey Cup. That that's on my bucket list. But I'm 2018. Both are going to get crossed off. I like that. I like the way you think. I want to go to Tokyo. I want to go and see all the order, the cleanliness, the transportation, the modern technology, all the vending machines, and and just. Take note of all the stuff you can buy out of vending machines in that, Tokyo. That was my number four. Was it really? Yeah. Cool. Uh, the would sin- you sleep in one of those tiny uh, yes, coffin like yes, beds? Yes, I would because, you know, one of my business ideas is to open a nap store, right? Yeah. So I want to try that out. And uh, the Sydney Harbor Bridge, I want to climb the Sydney. I'm deathly afraid of heights, but I was supposed to do that once upon a time. It got canceled. I want to do that. And I want to go to Normandy. I want to go to uh, see where, you know, uh, so many uh, Canadians sacrificed their lives so that we could have the freedoms that we enjoy. Um, My dad uh, went there and he says it's beyond a powerful experience and not in a morbid way in any fashion do I want to go there. I just think uh, that it's important uh, for Canadians to to take in that part of history. And if I got a bonus thing, it's another thing that I'm going to attribute to my dad. He went kayaking with the Belugas up in the Churchill River. He says, bar none, the coolest thing he's ever done in his life. Mike here has texted, anyone want to fly in a glider and see Manitoba from the air and fly like a bird? The Winnipeg Gliding Club can provide that. Contact him for details. That's actually not a bad idea. A glider would be cool. I, I've I've gone skydiving and I did the uh, ejector seat at the um, at the Red River X some two decades ago. You did skydiving? Yeah, I went Good skydiving. You, I, I went I went out to Gimli. Went skydiving. <sighs> One thing I would say that I have done that I would recommend if you haven't is go to the Grand Canyon. It mm. is amazing. 
Text us your bucket list ideas. 204-780-6868 is the number. The rabbit kicked the bucket. The rabbit kicked the bucket. The rabbit kicked the bucket. The bucket the bucket kicked. The rabbit kicked the rabbit. The bucket kicked the rabbit. Getting a lot of text messages at 204-780-6868 about bucket list items. And uh, Greg, you referenced you'd like to go to Tokyo. One of our listeners says, my daughter just came back from Japan and you need to go to not only vending machines, but you can get a whole meal at 7-Eleven for under five bucks. <laughs> okay. I'll try it out. I think you can do that here, too, uh, if you want. I think you can. You prob- uh, Large Slurpee and a bag of sour cream and bacon ruffles. Done. Uh, <laughs> Joan says, Greg, put Normandy at the top of your list. I mentioned that that was one place I wanted to go as well. We went there on our 30th anniversary. Not my idea of an anniversary destination, but because of the itinerary, that was the date. That trip changed and moved my soul. It taught me to live a grateful life. And then Dennis says, this summer I'm doing a motorcycle trip up the Dempster Highway all the way to the Arctic Ocean. I said, to tuck the Arctic? Yes. Is it paved? No, it's all gravel from Dawson City all the way to the Arctic Ocean. So some really cool places to go. Now, I have to check out this Dempster Highway on the Google Maps because it would be really cool. And I don't know if they have a street view of it, <laughs> but I want to check it out because that's something my brother-in-law wants to do this summer as well. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, it might be too isolated for me. Not enough baseball along the way for me. Well, there is a spot that at least very briefly found its way onto Google's Google Street View. Global News has learned that a Google Street View car, so those cars that drive around with that funny-looking orb camera sticking out of their roof, drove into a restricted area around the headquarters of CSIS, taking potentially compromising pictures along the way and posted them online. CSIS and Google only became aware of the situation after Global News brought it to their attention, and now they're scrambling to fix it. Global News... Reporter Mike Drolet is here with us this morning, live. Mike, this is uh, bothersome, to say the least. Well, good morning, guys. And, yeah, it, it, it's a little bothersome, but it's also it's a little comical as well, because if you think about it, CSIS has nobody to blame but themselves, because they have security at their headquarters in Ottawa, but they don't really use it because they have this gate in the front of the building. And during the day, that gate is open. So the Google car was driving around, and sure enough, you know, they drove right through. They drove right through the entrance. They drove around the roundabout, taking pictures of all the cars and all the people that are walking around, um, people who uh, are protected uh, by the Privacy Act. And um, they did that, and then they drove down another restricted road. And, you know, they mapped it out pretty, pretty good, I'd say. So after we brought it to their attention, um, CSIS uh, was was acted very quickly and ended up calling Google and said, you have to take this down. And sure enough, they did. Well, it is funny when you think the fact that it's the Canadian Security Intelligence Service and they allowed this to happen. But there's a there's a fairly clear sign that says the name of the organization and what the complex is and then right after that there's a sign that says no photos or videos but this Google driver just decided to carry on and what has Google said about this well it's funny because that sign is very clear in the pictures and it's it's always fun when you see a picture of don't take photos or video here and there's a photo of that uh, <laughs> that's pretty good 
Google, for its part, um, reacted uh, twofold, actually. Originally, they, they said that, uh, oh, the guy just, the person, whoever it was, man or woman, drove down the wrong road. And sometimes that happens. And when it happens, I mean, there's sensitive issues. I mean, they've taken billions of photographs, right? And it's impossible to be able to make sure every single one of them is, is, is accurate or doesn't have anything sensitive in it. That's absolutely impossible. You can't hold anybody to that, that level. However, uh, they do say they have a, a very um, uh, open system where people can complain and say, you know what, you've taken a picture of this, and uh, you can ask to have it taken down. Uh, and that's happened in the past. I mean, Google's driven past crime scenes. They've driven past other sensitive things, that, you know, before. And uh, Google has, has taken them down. I mean, there's, there's a whole litany of them on, on the Internet you can find. Uh, but then uh, later on, after seeing our story, they're, they're now questioning whether or not this, uh, the technology exists. Uh, part of the story included that um, uh, these people have had developed a software that allows them to look at the photos of, say, one vehicle, and then if that vehicle was spotted somewhere else within, like, say, the Ottawa area, they could potentially find it. They would find, you know, 10 similar vehicles, including maybe that one, and that could have uh, compromised Canadian security. I say could have, potential. You don't know if it did or if it, or, or if it, or if it could have 100%, and they say it's not 100%, but the fact is it, there's a possibility, and that in itself is enough for Google right now to say that they are having their engineers and lawyers looking into this because if they did something wrong, they want to know about it and they want to correct it. Global Nationals Mike Drolet joining us this morning. Mike, thanks for this. Hopefully there'll be some lessons learned on both sides. Yeah, and, and hopefully you guys aren't caught on the Google camera anytime soon doing anything compromised. Well, you know what? Oh, well, just a quick funny thing here, Mike. Uh, my, I used to live with a friend of mine. I lived in his basement, and one day the Google Street camera, we had these uh, these neighbors who they like to get into everyone's garden just because they were bored, and the Google camera caught our neighbor tending to our garden while we were away <laughs> because I guess we weren't doing a good enough job. <laughs> <laughs> more about you than about them. <laughs> I was actually, and, and I was actually in one of the Google shots in, uh, in Woodstock, Ontario, covering a major story. There was a major crime story a number of years ago. And so and Google drove by, got all the live trucks there. And, and I was in uh, editing our story in the, somebody's driveway who allowed us to sort of set up there. And so there's the two of us, me and my editor, looking up at the Google car going by, going, oh, look. Google car. Uh, <laughs> very interesting. Right on. Mike, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for the great work. Have a nice day, guys. Global Nationals, Mike Drolet <laughs> joining us. Once again, if you want to read more on this, globalnews.ca, CSIS employees left vulnerable to anybody with access to Google Maps, experts say. Well, you know what that means. It means it's time for the Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. SouthBeachCasino.ca. We're going north 767.7 kilometers to be exact on Highway 6. 
According to Google Maps, Brett, it takes eight hours and eight minutes to drive from Winnipeg to Flin Flon. That's probably from the center of Winnipeg, right? I guess so. Because they always, they never, the Google Map, it never does it like from the edge of Winnipeg. Right. It always, it always just drops the, the, the beginning of the trip. At Portage in Maine, I think. Well, then, you know what? The, depending on where you are, it could be longer than that or it could be shorter than that. But I thought that was pretty funny. Eight hours and eight minutes. Cal Huntley is our guest. The mayor of Flin Flon, some eight hours and eight minutes north of Winnipeg. Mr. Huntley, good morning to you. It's never taken me over seven hours to make the drive, just oh. so you know. Oh, well, oh. RCMP officers are listening <laughs> intently, Mayor Huntley. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's marginal. It's uh, very close to the speed limit. Uh, it's just uh, one of those inaccuracies around Google. Okay, I, I like it. Uh, we're, we're discovering yet another inaccuracy around Google. Hey, congratulations on uh, the star attraction designation for the Station Museum in Flin Flon. Thanks so much. It's something that the museum uh, and uh, the museum committee have been working very, very hard at for the last five or six years, and uh, we're very, very pleased. The announcement was uh, very welcomed in our community. So what is the Flin Flon Station Museum? Well, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting area. It actually is uh, the, um, the terminal from the, uh, our historic past with regards to CN, that was moved down to uh, our, our, uh, our camping area, so to speak. And uh, it's been a work in progress for many years, and it captures sort of the essence of uh, our mining history and our pioneer history in Flin Flon, with uh, many artifacts, displays, both inside the museum and outside, uh, some significant uh, pieces of equipment that indicate the uh, sort of progression in the, you know, the mining industry and, and how the north was opened up. So we're, we're really excited to be able to share this with, with everybody. And the Star Attraction gives us the opportunity to uh, spread the word a little wider and uh, attract more people to have a peek. Well, I have to give you credit, Mayor Huntley, for being able to live uh, in concert with uh, the folks of Saskatchewan so closely. You're right on the border there. <laughs> well, uh, like Lloyd Minister, we're one of only two border cities in, in Canada, I believe. So, yeah, we have residents, uh, Flin Flon, they're Flin Flon, Saskatchewan, and uh, Flin Flon, Manitoba. So the border goes right through our community. So are there, like, you know, gang fights in the streets, like uh, West Side Story, where they, you guys come out and, and uh, have a little dance? Yeah, no, no. We all get along very, very well. I mean, we're we're probably the model for, uh, for border... Uh, peace, so to speak. <laughs> it does lead into some interesting uh, situations. Hey, uh, you know, an interesting fact about Flin Flon, we were the first community to have uh, the uh, RCMP uh, come and do our policing for us, the first in Canada, actually. Well, how about that? And the only community that we know of uh, that is named after a fictional character, Flin and Betty Flonaton. Josiah Flintabity Flonaton. Again, you can see a statue of him at the uh, at the station museum. He's he's uh, well depicted there. Andy Cap uh, back in the day did a uh, uh, caricature of uh, of Josiah, and uh, we have quite a large statue of him there as well. It, it's interesting to note that the station museum itself is situated, as I had mentioned before, in a campground uh, right on the uh, on the outsides of uh, of our community. And uh, it's a place where we host events. For instance, uh, 
Uh, Josiah's birthday is always held on the August 12th uh, on the weekend, and uh, he'll be 56 years old. <laughs> Even though the community is much older, we go by the birth of the statue. And, uh, and uh, we're hosting a new festival there as well, too. Uh, it's a uh, Blueberry Jam uh, music gathering. And it takes place that same weekend at the Station Museum site and the campground site. And we're, we're hoping that uh, the kickoff will be really interesting. It's uh, for musicians and fans who appreciate a diverse selection of music styles and genres. And uh, we're hoping it, uh, it goes wild and uh, attracts a lot of people to walk through the museum. Uh, I need to give Tom Heine, the chair of the, the museum board, some real good credits with regards to... Uh, keeping uh, the committee together and uh, getting the star's traction status. And so when is that uh, festival happening? That's uh, August 10th to 12th, the uh, Blueberry Jam Music Gathering. And why Blueberry Jam? Well, blueberries are uh, one of the tastiest, uh, healthiest things that uh, you can, you know, I, in all honesty, I, I, I'm not going to throw the promo out there. There was a lot of discussion on what to call the, the music gathering, and a group of people came up with that, and uh, they thought it was it depicted uh, sort of uh, the fruit of the north and uh, something that uh, you put in pancakes, make jelly and jam, and uh, let's have some fun. And a little bit of music and you're jamming away. It sounds like a great time. Ross Lake right in the middle of Flynn Flon. Uh, absolutely beautiful spot in the Precambrian Shield. For for those that have, have never been, one of the things that always I marveled at about Flynn Flon was the, was the um, was the boxes, the sidewalks built around the, the sewer pipes and parts of Flynn Flon. Really kind of cool. Yeah, we, we uh, in the early days, and certainly even today, with one of the challenges uh, for sewer and water is that we're built on the Canadian Shield. So unless you're going to blast to get down, which was very expensive, you build on top. So the utilidors, or sewer boxes as we fondly called them in the old days, became the sidewalks uh, through the community. And to some degree, they still are. They're quite an attraction. We have uh, a recirculating water system because of the the cold in the winter time so the water needs to keep moving i believe there's only one or two communities in canada that have that actually really cool cal we got to let you go but we would be remiss without uh, pointing out bobby clark uh, born and raised in uh, flin flon member of the flin flon bombers and the great history of hockey in flin flon maybe we'll have you on to talk hockey one night or one morning here on 680 cjob no, that sounds great. We do have a diverse history, and the Bombers are still going very strong. So yeah, we have something in common with Winnipeg. Obviously, you have your Bombers, and we have the Flin Flon Bombers. <laughs> right on, Mayor Huntley. Thank you very much for this. Take care. Have a great day, guys. Cal Huntley is the mayor of Flin Flon, and, and I, he said it never has never taken him seven hours. I checked the Google map, and I moved the cursor to the edge of Winnipeg. Yes. And it says seven hours, 41 minutes, and Google... They go by the speed limit. So if you're, you know, you're doing even 105, you, you know. make it happen? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> theme music. Only, only a couple of people have theme music. <laughs> One of them 
is the mayor of Winnipeg, Brian Bowman, joining us now in studio for his monthly visit. Mr. Mayor, good morning. Good you, morning. That should be theme music for the city today to get ready for the game tonight. Without question. Yeah. I know you're excited. You've got your Canada Goose coat on. What an incredible piece of engineering yeah, no that is. What a gift. Like, there are some things that you get and are bestowed yeah. with as mayor. This has got a rank right up there as one of the most special gifts oh, you've yeah. ever received. It's You know what? It, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty nice on a number of levels. I mean, one, we, we've got a, a huge Canada Goose operations here, uh, incredible employees. And so uh, this jacket has been signed by over 1,000 of the employees from the, the Winnipeg plant, which is very near City Hall. And uh, it's got Go Jets Go on the back. It's uh, they, they built it for a winter whiteout. Yeah, I, I really like the yeah. white, uh, the all white jacket too. So that's, that's a great endorsement for Canada. Hopefully, Goose. we'll be wearing for... it well into next week. Well, you wore it on, <laughs> on uh, the, the, the last whiteout party when it was yeah. like thirty degrees. You yeah. must have been cooking in there. I, I was a little warm. <laughs> it, it, it definitely uh, does its job really well. But you know what? It's it's good fun. I, I saw some uh, some some much more uh, some cooler outfits at the the I mean the street parties and uh, at the games. I mean it's just incredible how people are into this right now. Yeah, and you know what? And one of the conversations conversations we're having surrounding that, Mayor Bowman, is the idea of how do we capture, how do we maintain this momentum, not mm-hmm. only in downtown, but in terms of our, our pride in our community and maybe this renewed sense of connection yeah. to it. You know what? It's been growing for some time. I mean, you even look at downtown. I mean, since 2005, we've had over $3 billion in investments in our downtown. So this is not a this is not a just a, an overnight success story for the city. It's not an overnight success story for the team. They've been building and they've been doing what they needed to do to build the winning conditions for, for the team. And our city's been doing that as well. Um, you know, there's been major investments in downtown over many years. And that positive momentum will continue. I mean, when you look at the Jets, I mean... Uh, you know, for the uh, the playoff round next year, uh, we'll be uh, we'll have True North Square up and running, and uh, there's a lot of positive energy in the downtown right now. It's it's great, and and we're able to show it off to Winnipeggers, but also to the world right now in ways that. Uh, we couldn't have uh, even imagined a few months ago. I know expats that came from Louisiana, British Columbia, and Florida for the game <laughs> si- uh, game six on Monday. Of course, yeah. a little bit of a disappointment, but yeah. let me tell you, this is reconnecting people yeah. that have left as well, and and people are saying I have to be a part of that. The mm-hmm. one threshold, the one thing though that, and, and I've been saying it for a long time, not to be negative, but it's my sincere belief, is that the one thing that may keep downtown from reaching its potential and getting to where it needs to be is safety in the downtown. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And this is why, um, I mean, we're having a conversation right now uh, about downtown safety in a way we haven't in the past. And it's because we put into the budget um, uh, the development of a a long-term downtown safety strategy, and we backed it up with $3.5 million. And so right now we're having conversations and we're connecting stakeholders, some of whom have been operating in silos. And so we wanted to get the downtown biz. We want to get, you know, the management at uh, at Portage Place involved, the police, uh, our, de- our urban designers, get them involved and let's start talking about some of the things that we need to change. And one of those things, uh, you know, you see in the last few days is discussion about the transit shelter at Portage Place. That is absolutely what we need to be focusing in on. And so the public service is working on that report right now based on the dialogue we're having. Uh, I want to see some changes there, and that's why we've uh, we've built the the, the process uh, that you'll see unfold. And more importantly, we'll be able to convert talk to action with dollars in uh, in the coming months.
Growth fees, impact fees, uh, $7.6 million brought in since uh, they started being collected about 11 months ago, but there is a legal challenge from the Home Builders Association. Uh, so that money is just going to sit. But what is the next step in this legal process? Well, you know what? The one thing that uh, shouldn't be overlooked is we've got a working group right now, and we do have the industry at the table, which is exactly where we want uh, all the parties to be. And so, you, you know, you're right. There's over $7 million that have been collected. That money will ultimately be used for uh, uh, for infrastructure to support growth. And uh, that's $7 million and change that we would otherwise have to have asked all property taxpayers uh, citywide, existing homeowners, so that's $7 million that is uh, being funded by growth that will help support growth in due time. But what we want to do is we want to have that working group provide the recommendations on where that money can be best spent. Won't be going into general revenues to balance the budget. It'll be going to support infrastructure to support growth. And um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing their work continue. We have a love-hate relationship with road construction in the city. We <laughs> love to complain about the roads. We love to demand action. And then when we get that action, we, we sort of hate it. Yeah. But uh, I know that there's a long list of, of, of priorities in terms of infrastructure. Where are things at, uh, not only in terms of this year? I, I think you know it's pretty clear. You've made it clear that we're spending as much as we've ever spent this year. But what about that mm -hmm. pot of money that y you went to the federal government for, for some that list is very impactful if it yeah. if you should get that money and and when will you know when you will get that money uh well you know what uh, we don't have an exact timeline we are waiting uh, as is the province of manitoba for the federal government to uh to, to let us know if they're going to be supporting that we're pretty optimistic that we're going to be able to get some uh you know some significant uh, monies and we're talking millions and millions of dollars to help uh, the accelerated regional roads program so um we're, we're waiting to see but in the meantime uh, we're doing what we need to do, uh, $116 million record investments in roads. Now you compare that to back in 2012 when the city was spending just over $30 million. Uh, it's significant. So there'll be 200 road projects this summer. Um, that's 150 uh, lane kilometers of road repair. And just, just to put that in perspective, that's Winnipeg to the Ontario border. And that's just this year alone. So you're right, there's going to be a lot of construction. If folks haven't downloaded the free Ways app, please do so. It's going to help you navigate uh, a lot of construction this this summer and want to thank everybody for their, their patience in advance and ask people to slow down around the construction workers who are doing really part, important work for us. Mayor Brian Bowman, thank you very much for joining us once again. You can follow him on all the social media, including Instagram. I put up a story of his cool jacket on my Instagram. You can follow <laughs> me at Brett McGarry. Go Jets, go! 756 on 680 CJOB. <laughs> The mayor's nervous for tonight. I am. I think we all are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are yeah. so, you're so tense. It's yeah. just a game. I know it's not <laughs> no, just no, a game. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's Mackling and McGarry. We're and agreeing CJ. again. That's not good. <laughs> First time you heard it here on live radio. We were talking about the alert test that happened yesterday, sort of. Many of you likely got the test that went out to your cell phones, but uh, many of you, including me, did not, and it, that test was made during what is Emergency Preparedness Week. So what if you got that text message, that emergency alert, or if it was, an, and that alerted you to some sort of a natural disaster, or I don't know, maybe you lost your power or water. Are you prepared for an emergency? It's recommended that you have a 72-hour emergency kit 
on hand, just in case we've had this discussion before. Do you have one? And I think 95% of us will say no. No, I don't. No, I absolutely do not. To tell us more about putting together a 72-hour kit, we are joined by Jay Shaw, Assistant Chief in Emergency Management with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedics Service. Jay, nice to speak with you again. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing all right. You know what? This is a great week in terms of emergency preparedness and the whole discussion about what does an emergency kit, a 72-hour emergency kit look like. So maybe you can help us with that, Jay, with some very specific materials and items we should have in that kit. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time to talk about emergency preparedness and, and absolutely let's talk about what you should have in your kit. So the first thing you need in your kit is situational awareness. So what we want people to understand in the city of Winnipeg, uh, and not just through Emergency Preparedness Week, you need to understand your situational awareness, which means what are your hazards, what are the risks in and around your community. So right now, we've been talking a little bit about wildfires in the media. Some of the other hazards in the city of Winnipeg could be flooding, severe weather. You know, sometimes I make jokes with you guys and talk about zombies could come. So we want to understand what our hazards are, And then what we want to do is we want to make a plan. And that plan is basically where would you meet if there was a disaster? Who are your contact people out of town? Things along that lines. What are your paperwork and things that you might need? And then we want to build a kit. And the kit, the 72-hour kit, is so that you can be self-sufficient for up to three days alone if there was no power, no help, no one coming to give you assistance. So what do you want in that kit? You want water for every person in your house. You want to be able to have some canned food, can opener, battery-powered radio, flashlights, all your spare medications, and basically things for every family that uh, it's going to be a little bit different. And and always, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're thinking about our furry friends too. So if you've got pets, you want to make sure you've got a little bit extra food for your pets. If you get snowed in or there's a flood or there's no power, you want to be able to have everything you need at home. Now, inside this kit, um, there's a couple different ways you can go. You, you can uh, buy a pre-purchased one. Uh, there's lots of different venues where you can buy them. Or what we like, uh, personally, because I think Winnipeggers are resilient, I like people to build their own kits because that way they know what's in it. They've got, uh, got the, the materials at home that they can use. You guys both said on the radio 95% of the people don't have it. It's a bad number. I'd like more people to have them. So I'm going to tell you guys how you guys can go build your kit right now. Go take that old hockey bag that you have in your basement or in your garage and fill up some of the stuff that we talked about. You can go online to winnipeg.ca and visit EmergeWeb to get more details. And basically, uh, you know, build your own kit. You're going to have that resiliency then and you're going to know how to use some of the equipment that's in there. Great suggestion with regard to the hockey bag. Uh, that is a, a great way to go, Jay. Uh, you mentioned water. How much water per person is should we be provisioning for? So I like to say two liters per person per day, and that's for general consumption. But when we start talking about cooking and cleaning and all the other aspects that we may use water for in our in our families, I have a family, I have three kids, so I'm bumping that up. I'm 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 going to jack that number up to about four liters of water per person per day. And also on that list, the sanitation supplies, you know, the TP and uh, wipes and all those different things that uh, make you more comfortable in a situation that could otherwise or very quickly become very miserable if you don't have them and three 
other things on this list that uh, I know you suggested going to the website, but can we hi- highlight them here right now? Absolutely. Cash in the form of small bills and change. I think that's an outstanding suggestion. Why do you have it on the list, Jay? Uh, the reason why is that there is an extended power outage. You may not have access to electricity uh, in the form of being getting to a bank machine or being able to go shopping. Uh, have you ever seen on the news where uh, there's some sort of hazard going on and all the shelves at Walmart are completely empty of sure. all the merchandise? So um, a lot of people are using debit and credit cards. All those systems are going to be out if we have a massive power failure. So uh, having small bills and in, in, in cash in hand can help you in that manner. You've got another thing here on the list, uh, a small fuel-operated stove and fuel. We're talking about, you know, when I think of an emergency kit, I'm thinking of like a bag that I can grab and run. Um, But, you know, some of these items, I mean, they make sense, but where am I supposed to keep, am I supposed to have a, a fuel stove just for emergency? So uh, every family, every person is going to be a little bit different in terms of what the needs are. And that's why we said the very first thing you need to understand is what your risks are and your own situational awareness. I like to have what's called a grab-and-go bag inside my emergency kit. And that is the bag that I would actually evacuate out of my house with. That bag is going to have my extra medications, the cash, make sure you put a cell phone charger in there, you know, all your extra paperwork that you're going to need. The way I like to talk about this is if you were going to evacuate your house and you may never go back, what would you need to restart your home again? And that's what goes in that grab-and-go bag. Because you're right, uh, if if you're leaving your house, uh, you know, and you have to pull that hockey bag or those, those big kits. I got three kids, so I'm not hauling all that water out, right? So the 72-hour kit is for you to be self-sufficient at home. There, a part of that component is a grab-and-go bag that if you did need to leave, if we came and showed up at your house at 3.13 in the morning, you would be able to evacuate and be able to take the things that you would need. The, the other thing on the list as well that I wanted to throw out there for people to contemplate, uh, beside the, 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 the stove, which is an outstanding uh, suggestion as well, uh, is extra keys for your home and vehicle. I know a lot of us have a habit of keeping our keys in one spot. Some of us don't. And important personal documents. That whole idea, when you saw what happened in Fort McMurray and people having to leave on a moment's notice and to have the documents that you need in terms of insurance, even just to be able to prove who you are to the authorities, it's a big deal and will save yourself a whole lot of hassle if we ever find ourselves in a situation like that. Hey, are you looking for a job? Because you sound like an emergency manager. You're doing great. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. I appreciate that. And we appreciate uh, you uh, highlighting this stuff. It, it, it's so important. And I think it's something that far too many of us uh, have pushed aside on the priority list. Yep. No, you're right. And it's actually, uh, you brought back some memories when you're talking about Fort McMurray there. Uh, some of the videos of people trying to evacuate their homes when the fire was, you know, mere kilometers away or hundreds of meters away, people were trying to load in lamps and, and rugs and televisions into their cars. And the reality is, is you don't have time for that. So that's why situational awareness, understanding your hazards and risks, making a plan and getting a kit is important. All right, Jay Shaw, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon, and go Jets, go. Jay Shaw, Assistant Chief Emergency Management for the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service, telling you how you can put together a 72-hour emergency kit to have on hand just in case. There's so many issues in our society that are worthy of our attention. We just 
discussed Emergency Preparedness Week. It's also Mental Health Awareness Week. And joining us in studio is an old friend, David Henry. David has had multiple head injuries with subsequent depression. David and I have commiserated on our joint. Uh, I guess we, we, we have that combined experience, don't we, David? It's great to see you again against all odds. He went back to work in the trucking industry, and I just want to congratulate you on that. And and uh, thank you for sharing your story. It, it, it means a lot to a lot of people. So how are things with you? Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here again. I uh, appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, it's another year of uh, just uh, trying to improve and, you know, taking every day as I can and uh, being thankful for those days that I have. David, you suffered multiple head injuries. Were these all work-related? How many? I guess let's start with how many head injuries. Uh, well, four major, what I call more major head injuries, not including, you know, the the basic things where oh, I had my bell rung or I felt dizzy after getting hit, you know. But um, first one was sports-related, playing rugby as a kid uh, in high school, and then uh, farm accident. And then a couple of trucking incidents, one where a guy ran over my truck when I was in Tallahassee, Florida. And the last one, uh, two years ago now, was uh, I fell off a load on, on onto my head, of course. So that's, uh, that's kind of the snapshot of it. For a long time, the, the, the correlation, the connection between head injury and depress- depression wasn't understood or appreciated. We're finally, I think, at a point where... Uh, physicians and caregivers understand that there is a connection. Well, absolutely. There is a study done in Ontario uh, a few years ago where of the people that committed suicide in their 20s, 35% of them had an unreported head injury in their teen years. And that's a, that's a direct link, and that's a huge number, 35%. You know, And uh, unreported is where... Somebody says, oh, you just had your bell rung. Don't worry about it, you know? Now, is it is it true that there's a stigma? I mean, there's a stigma, I think, in, in so many parts of society in general about talking about mental health issues, but particularly in, in trucking, uh, mostly man, men doing this job, is, and men are often, you know, taught to bottle up their feelings. So how does that go over in the trucking industry now that you are speaking out about your issues? It. Uh, there's definitely a stigma. Um, it's getting better, but it is it is a very tough thing. You know, like somebody in the office can say, "Well, I have I have a bad day today. I can't really come in." And if a truck driver's on schedule somewhere and he says, "You know what? I I I'm just too stressed out right now. I something happened, and I I need to take a few moments." The office has never been very understanding about that. I, I'm fortunate I work at a place where they do understand that. But it, I mean, the company I was working for when I fell on my head, they uh, they let me go after I was recuperated because they didn't, they didn't want me anymore. They didn't want to have to deal with that. It's an industry, of course, the timeliness is a, is a big issue, right? And there's a lot of pressure to, to be on time and to be dependable. Uh, but that whole... The, the human side of of looking out for one another is starting to rear its head in a positive fashion where we are looking out for each other and are more sensitive and compassionate about 
those that have dealt with either a, a head injury, depression, or both? Yeah, absolutely. It um, There's a lot of good things with people that have issues, and it, it makes us better in some ways. And uh, in other ways, it's not quite as good. But the key is to understand what our issues are, and we can work with it, and we can be even better than we were before. David Henry, you brought something in here that I'm not sure that anybody has ever bestowed this privilege, this honor upon us. You you wrote a little piece of prose about yeah. Mackling and McGarry. Yeah, I, uh, I I like to put things down on paper sometimes and just write out my thoughts. So that's what I did here. we got about a minute left. Do you want to read this? Sure, I can do that. Title is Mackling and McGarry. Ah, Mackling and McGarry. Two men whose monikers sound manly. On this mental health week, modifying schedules, manning the airwaves, moving the knobs, masters of the microphone, making this Manitoba a majestic place, one talk show at a time, magical moments, mashing the malicious myths that men don't mention mental issues, marvelous men, meritable, Mike on, Mike Mackling and McGarry. Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, the fact that you found a way to use the word meritable, congratulations. <laughs> and uh, second, this is, this is great, man. It was good to see you again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking about this. Thank you for sharing your story and for this, uh, this gift of, uh, of, of kindness. It's uh, wonderful to see you, David. Thank you. Thanks. David Henry is a man who has suffered multiple head injuries. He's since gone back to work in the trucking industry, and he's sharing his story, and he's shared it with us this morning on 680 CJOB. Of course, the pressure, the stress of a Game 7. I sometimes wonder if the fans feel it more than the athletes. But you know what? To find out for sure, why don't we get and have a conversation with someone who knows the mind of an athlete much better than you or I do. Dr. Adrian Leslie Tugood, Director of Sports Psychology for the Canadian Sports Centre. Manitoba joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Adrian, good morning to you. Good morning. So, Adrian, we've heard Blake Wheeler talk about this all season long. It's one game at a time. Let's not get too far ahead. At one point when the Jets were on the verge of clinching a playoff spot, even though they hadn't done it quite yet, he said, come on, let's pump the brakes. We haven't done anything yet. Do athletes think about what happens if we win this game tonight? Well, uh, you know, athletes can, but athletes do that well ahead of time, and then athletes get back to their process. And if you think of it, uh, last game did have a lot of pressure for the Jets. They were at home, and they wanted to clinch the playoffs. But uh, they uh, – sorry, I'm sitting on a park bench, and there's a dog coming towards my dog. So I'm <laughs> but, you know, by the time they get to um, – you know, get to the ring tonight, they're surrounded by a great team and a great staff, and – there is pressure on them. That's inevitable. There's there's nothing else that you can say, but they know how to deal with it. I know, for example, I was with Hockey Canada once. We were at a home world championship, so they were out in Kamloops, and the motto the coaches had was pressure is power. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of good things that come from pressure as well. The other thing you have to think of, too, is there's two teams on the ice tonight, and, you know, Nashville has a ton of pressure on themselves as well. Uh, they, you know, went to the, the, the final last year. They're expected to win. They're the number ranked team. They're at home. So in some ways, the pressure's off the Jets a little bit. You know, they, they now get to go in and, 
um, just play and have fun and, and, you know, see what they can make happen. And I know that the coaching staff will be working with the team um, all week and having honest conversations with them. I think the most important thing is for the athletes to recognize kind of where their, head at, their head's at earlier in the week, uh, deal with it. And, uh, you know, by the time they hit the ice tonight, they're, uh, they're ready to go. Um, I know that when you started this, you had mentioned that, um, you know, the, the fans might find the pressure a bit more difficult than the athletes. And in, in many ways, I think they do uh, because it's out of the, the fans controls, right? They're just watching. And once the uh, athletes hit the ice, it's the same game that they've played since they've been growing up. So they're, you know, it's out of their system. They're ready to go and they're ready to play some hockey and, and see what they can make happen for those fans and for themselves. Dr. Adrian Leslie Tuga joining us now, Director of Sports Psychology for the Canadian Sports Centre here in Manitoba. And I'm so relieved to hear you, you you point to the Predators and perhaps the pressure is more squarely on them because of the fact that they are the uh, defending Western Conference champion. They did finish first place and win the President's Trophy, and they are at home. Uh, Coming in here on Monday night, they could be loosey-goosey because, uh, let's face it, uh, the Jets and their fans wanted them to close out that series on Monday night. Now it's like, oh, goodness gracious, we're in a winner-take-all situation, and we are the team that is supposed to win. How do they block that out? Uh, well, um, they're a team that's, you know, been there before and in that situation before and experiences the, the best teacher. And just like for the Jets, the, the last game they played in is not how they want to feel afterwards. They're going to learn from that and they're going to come out strong. I'm sure that the uh, the Nashville Predators are going through their, their own process right now, getting themselves ready uh, to get onto the ice. And so hopefully uh, tonight what's going to happen is you're going to have one of those great memorable games, right? And both teams are going to come out playing and, in this, it's been a bit of a different series uh, in the sense that one team seems to have dominated the other team and it, 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 the game hasn't really been up, too much up for grabs. And, uh, you know, maybe tonight we'll see a different game where you have two hungry teams that are, you know, doing what they love on the ice and, and playing hard. And, you know, one of those teams is going to uh, keep playing next week and the other team's not. And, I'm, you know, obviously we're all really hoping that it's the Jets that get on the other side of that. Dr. Leslie, too good. I realize that you know this is a high-pressure game seven situation, and uh, anybody involved in a, a competitive sporting environment, I think, would would feel that kind of stress. But we also have to remember these these. This is their job, right? I mean, we all feel pressure in our various jobs, and you know, if we remain employed, that probably means because we can rise up to the pressures of said job. So, what separates, or how do? athletes who are also professionals how do they make that separation between this is just a game versus this is my job (laughs) well i think you can look at that two ways i think you're exactly right uh the athletes know how to perform in these conditions they've done it their entire careers if you think of anyone who makes it to the nhl there's been many games they've had to perform in and play well in to continue up the you know the pathway the other thing that you can think of as well is as much as it's their job, these are all people that absolutely love what they do. And so as much as there's pressure, this is also an opportunity that they grew up dreaming about, right? To be in a game seven game in this round of the, I mean, all these people were kids dreaming of being there. So, you know, there's pressure, but there's also excitement and, you know, embracing, you know, getting on the right side of that pressure and embracing the opportunity ahead of them. Uh, the other thing too is, as you mentioned, they're all professional athletes and a lot of athletes nowadays, um, you know, they embrace kind of the, the science behind the game. Their their bodies are fit and ready to go, but so are their minds. And so a lot of these guys have done, you know, they've done the work they need to do so that they can perform on demand and they, they know exactly who they want to be in those moments. They've, you know, they've done the work on the ice, but they've also done the work off the ice. So 
you know, they're ready to go. They're professionals and um, they recognize that it's, it's a physical game and it's also a mental game and, and they've done the work they need to do. Dr. Adrian Leslie Toogood is Director of Sports Psychology for the Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba. We're going to leave it there and uh, hope for the best tonight and uh, hopefully we have reason to speak with you well into June, uh, Dr. Leslie Toogood. Thank you for this. Yeah. Thank you for it. Take care. There's a dog. I know. Okay, go have fun. <laughs> okay, bye. Doctor Adrian Leslie, too good. Is that a beagle? Sound like there was a beagle who was barking there. <laughs> Director of Sports Psychology for the Canadian Sports Centre, Manitoba. By the way, uh, we mentioned Don Thompson won the tickets for Nottamuscuri, and yes. you were wondering if it was. Don Thompson, who was on television, we had three listeners back to back to back text us that it was Ron Thompson, the now the late Ron Thompson, right. uh, who he was a former CKX TV weatherman in Brandon, and uh, they also owned uh, MTN at the time. So thank you for that reminder, and you're right, as I see his smiling face, picture of Ron Thompson, yeah, hard to forget that. One of our listeners said, uh, did he say, easy does it? And I think that was his catchphrase, was Easy does it. 9.15 on 680 CJOB. Those, those would be appropriate words for the Jets tonight and the fans. Easy does it. You like going to some wedding socials? It's been a while, but yeah, socials are always fun. It, and like, Get a piece I, of salami I, I know shoulder. when I was a kid, the, the, the ones at the Immaculate Conception Hall or at La Rendezvous were Where, the hot tickets. Where's Immaculate Conception? Uh, east of Main Street. In uh, sort of in Point Douglas near uh, Sutherland, okay. or at the old Rendezvous where you get like six, seven, eight hundred people. Yeah, the bigger the better. Yep. This might be the biggest social ever in wedding, Manitoba. Wedding bells will soon be ringing for one of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Running back Andrew Harris is tying the knot to Karina Fiorentino. But first, the couple is partaking in, of course, the Grand Manitoba tradition of throwing a social. And it's going to be huge because it's going to be at Investors Group Field. Andrew Harris joins us now live on 680 CJOB. First of all, Andrew, congratulations. Thank you very much. Investors Group Field, is this thing happening on the field? Uh, no, we're going to be doing it in the concourse. I mean, one of the one things that I always wish I could do while I'm playing the game is to be up in the, in the rum hut. Uh, having some drinks with my friends and enjoying the game. So, uh, you know, we, we, we have a game on the 27th and then we have a bye week that following week, um, which and then the socials on the 28th. So, uh, so we're going to do in the North, North concourse, you know, weather permitting and uh, kind of block off that North end there. There's, uh, there's going to be three or four bars up there and uh, get some tents set up and um, yeah, just have some fun. We're, we're really looking forward to it. You know, it's not enough that you're, I don't want to cause any. You're one of the best players on the Blue Bombers. I was going to call you the best uh, player on the team. But, of course, being from Winnipeg, you're so tuned in to the Winnipeg things. I know you've been attending uh, the Odd Jets playoff game if you haven't been to to all of them. So this is about as Winnipeg an idea as there is to have your social at IGF and the Rum Hut as the main bar. Man, oh, man, how did you come up with that? Well, we were thinking about doing a social. We are kind of humming and hung about it. I mean, there's been, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't go to them as much anymore because, you know, they've kind of gotten a little bit stale and dry. And, and uh, you know, it's always a great thing to be a part of. But I just, I was thinking about doing something different. So we had a, we had a couple of different ideas and, and then this came up and um, I was like, you know, this would be amazing. I mean, being, being a bomber, being, again, talking about, you know, just the rum hut and how big of a staple it is. And uh, but the biggest thing was just again doing something that no one's ever done before, having a venue that was going to be big enough to to hold 
um, my fiance's Italian family and all my friends and family, um, which which is which is a big uh, a, a big big side of things as well. So yeah, there was a bunch of different reasons why why we chose that, and and uh, and the biggest part is too, it's a, it's in the summer. It's gonna be in hopefully a nice nice night, and uh, just to play on to to the whole football football season and 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 get some people in the stadium and and have a great party there. Andrew, we we got to rush here. Uh, we we almost got to get out of here, but I do need to quickly ask, how many tickets are you selling? Uh, we're gonna be in uh, in the thousands for sure. Um, but, uh, thousands, yeah, th- thousands, yeah. So uh, we're we're at about uh, we got we got t- over two thousand tickets printed. So we'll see how we'll see how they go. So uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Lots of good prizes, lots of lots of good music, lots of good food, and um, yeah, it's gonna be a great night. Who's paying for it? Who's paying for what? The social. Are you put? Are you paying for it? Yeah, yeah. So it's coming out of our pocket. I mean, that's that's another part of it too. I mean, uh, the, the stadium's gonna, you know, with all the booze and the food and stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a night where you know it's not so much about making tons of money off it, but making sure that we have celebrate our wedding, um, you know, our, and our, with all the people in our community and and just enjoying a great night. Thanks, Andrew. Congratulations one more time. We'll uh, we'll see you soon uh, on the field. Look forward to the twenty eighth of July. Thanks, brother. All right. Thanks. All right, Andrew Harris, Winnipeg Blue Bomber Wedding Social, July 28th at Investors Group Field. How cool is that? It's the University of Manitoba's Archives and Special Collections who are presenting a new exhibit. But there's a chance that you may have already seen that coming. The U of M's Archives has over 50 collections relating to spiritualism and psychical research. Am I saying that correctly? Psychical Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. Uh, that it's going to be showcased in the exhibit. It's called "Investigation of the Human Psyche: Spiritualist and Parapsychology Collections at the University of Manitoba Archives." The collection opens tomorrow at seven thirty. Runs until December. And the event is being kicked off with a special lecture tomorrow night by Roy Stemmen, who has specialized in the paranormal for 30 years. He is the editor of Psychic News Magazine, the website. I've got the magazine in my hand, and the website is psychicnews.org.uk. He's a psychic investigator, and we're also joined in studio by Walter Meyertsu Erpen, archives and records consultant. He is with the Survival Research Institute of Canada. He is an archivist, and uh, hey guys, thanks so much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. Welcome. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. So tell us, what are we going to be learning about uh, with regards to this new, to this new essentially exhibit that's happening, and then this whole conversation. The exhibit looks at uh, the important work that the University of Manitoba is doing in in archiving uh, material that relates to spiritualism, um, particularly in Canada, but it's a, it's broader than that, uh, and the importance of of keeping that for others to to see. But the really the reason I'm here uh, as editor of Psychic News is because we have reached an agreement with the university to host, eventually, it's, it's a work in progress at the moment, but our entire archive of newspapers, we were a weekly newspaper launched in 1932, and we continued as a newspaper through to 2011, so we're 70, 72 years of newspapers, weekly newspapers. They will all be online, free to people to access 
and uh, get to know more about the history of spiritualism. Why here? Why the University of Manitoba? I'm going to pass you to water for that. The, the Canada has a long uh, and interesting involvement in spiritualism and parapsychology, psychic, psychic research, and already has a very well-established um, archive. And when we were looking for somebody that would be the best person to, or best people to, to be the host of, of our archive, um, a charitable trust, I should say, called the JV Trust, has financed this and made it available. Uh, they had a choice of setting up their own um, hosted site or giving it to somebody like Manitoba to, to do it, and it was an obvious choice. And uh, I think we were welcomed with open arms, Water. Isn't that uh, true? Absolutely, yeah. The Psychic News is a very rich archive of the history of, of spiritualism and uh, psychical research for over 70 years. And it will allow us to do uh, further research to find out who some of these interesting individuals were. Um, in particular, relevant to uh, Winnipeg and Manitoba history is the case of Dr. Thomas Glendening Hamilton, which is quite familiar to um, Manitobans. Uh, he was a medical doctor in Elmwood and uh, with his wife and later his, his family uh, investigated psychic phenomena from 1918 until his death in 1935. And fortunately, the family maintained the historical records of the group's research, the, the photographs, the seance minutes um, that they, they had gathered and the attendance records and deposited all this stuff in 1980 with the, uh, the archivist of the University of Manitoba. And that individual's successor, Dr. Shelley Sweeney, is now responsible for the, the archives of, of the Hamilton family. And as Shelley, um, she's a colleague of mine from, from university, as Shelley says, um, it's sort of a type of psychical attraction that that core collection dating back, um, I guess, almost 40 years now, has then drawn other collections to it. Um, I have, as a researcher, I started coming to Winnipeg in 1991 to study the Hamilton research, and um, people started offering me this stuff. They were getting on, they were in their 70s, didn't know what to do with it, their kids weren't necessarily interested, so I started gathering it and then realized, well, I can't keep all this stuff, it's small, but I started depositing it, and the collection from there has grown. I didn't realize it was 50 collections, but... Um, and so that, that's how, to answer your question, Roy and Psychic News, it made sense that, that it come to Winnipeg. The, and, and there are references in the Psychic News um, to the Hamiltons and others. Now, Roy, well, you've been involved in uh, the paranormal research for three decades now. What drew you to it? That, that's uh, an interesting question. It was actually flying saucers was my very interest as a teenager. Um, and very quickly... Um, I, I, I saw a copy of Psychic News on display at my local newsagents, and it, on that particular issue had flying saucers as a headline. I bought it, and then within a very short space of time, the editor I was communicating with, the editor then, Fred Archer, asked me if I would um, go and report on a medium giving a demonstration. And I was scared, I have to say. I said yes, because it was a good opportunity uh, and I walked up and down outside this hall for about 10 minutes before I had the courage to go in and, uh, and watch this medium. And, of course, there was nothing to be scared of. It was, a, a, it was a very interesting communication that he gave to various people in the audience. I interviewed them afterwards, found that they had been given information from spirits that they knew that uh, the medium couldn't have known. And I went on to have my own experiences with mediums that provided that sort of level of evidence as well. So 
Um, and that's how I got into journalism, and I've never looked back. You know, there's a lot of debate, a lot of conversation about whether science and medical research can coexist. What about research and 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 uh, psychological research along with parapsychology? Is, is can they coexist, and do they coexist? I would say definitely. Um, there's a whole field called um, parapsychology, which has evolved out of um, psychical research, uh, and it's the the term preferred by. Um, individuals working in a laboratory where they're doing more repeated um, observation of, of psychic events and attempting to quantify it. So I do believe it coexists and it's, I think it's the way to the future to trying to understand it. And the whole purpose of this exhibit uh, titled Investigation of the Human Psyche is that there's this rich history of archives, of spontaneous cases of, of reincarnation that Roy can speak to further. Um, healing, uh, paranormal healing, spiritual healing, all of these very important phenomena that people report that I personally am convinced, and I think Roy is as well, convinced that a good chunk of these are real phenomena for people. And um, how do we tie this all together? How do we make sense of it? It's obviously part of the human psyche. It's a common human experience. And that's why I feel personally so that it's so important that we retain all this archival record and that in the hope that some future generation will make more sense of it than we're able to. Yeah, Roy, I, uh, I love paranormal stuff. I love supernatural stuff. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think that there there is something out there. But I bet you you, you, you probably get a lot. Or it, is it wrong to assume you get a lot of resistance from people who think, oh, paranormal, that's uh, oh, yeah. a bunch of, bunch of hooey. Yes, and I'm afraid some of the popular television programs about ghost hunting and that don't help at all. Um, uh, but there, on the other hand, there are units like the University of Virginia has, uh, um, I think it's it's called the Division of Perceptual Studies. Studies, yeah. uh, and uh, Professor Ian Stevenson, who's no longer with us, but he he was a Canadian yep. born Montreal, but um, uh, but he he went to Virginia, set up this for, um, unit. It's been going for forty years. It studies reincarnation, near-death experiences, a whole range of other paranormal uh, and psychological phenomena, all of which indicate that, that, there, that our consciousness exists after our bodily death. And that, so it's, it's a very wide field. Uh, and to answer your question, there, there are lots of uh, doctors, scientists involved in this field. Uh, they don't get enough credit for what they do. Um, John Cleese uh, of Monty Python fame uh, was at University of Virginia just a couple of weeks ago. He did a one-night benefit to raise money for funds for the research they're doing. Oh, so, wow. Uh, you know, that's, so that's going on. The public doesn't largely get to hear about that, but there is a lot going on uh, beneath the surface. And uh, it's, uh, there's a generally a much wider acceptance that consciousness is far greater than we we think and reality is perhaps not uh, as narrow as as we think which is why the title of uh, of this exhibition is investigation of the human psyche uh, we've got so much still to learn and mediums and psychics uh, are making an important contribution to that i think sometimes we're a little hesitant to admit when we've had these experiences and to speak about them out loud but i think the more that we have the discussion and share 
what sort of paranormal experiences that, that we've had, it goes a long way to normalizing them as realize hey, you had I've we've all been there, right? And so the discussion uh, can come out from uh, behind closed doors, so to speak. But my, my talk tomorrow, I'll be sharing some of the experiences I've had because I tend to be a very skeptical person. I, I've got you are. Oh yeah, really? Oh, I have to be. <laughs> uh, you, uh, I mean, unfortunately, spiritualism has attacked, attracted lots of frauds. You have to be mm. aware of of the way in which people can be conned easily. We're running at the moment uh, a campaign called the Truth Campaign. This is in Psychic News to try to encourage people that claim to be physical mediums to undergo thermal imaging testing to be sh because a lot of what they do is in the dark. Well, you know, Houdini did some incredible things and he did it in the light. He didn't need to be in the dark, but uh, some physical mediums do. We had a case in England recently where a physical medium was filmed giving a seance in the dark. He didn't know, but he was being filmed with infrared camera that was hidden up in the corner and he, he could be seen coming out of his cabinet walking around pretending to be lifting objects and everything else uh, believe it or not so that's been that's available on, on the internet for people to see we psychic news is promoting that to make people aware but this guy is actually still doing the same thing and saying that it's not it, 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 it he's now better he's you know, whatever. So <laughs> yeah, you, we need to be very, very skeptical. But at the same time, the, the evidence is very, very strong for, for survival of death. It's called Investigation of the Human Psyche, Spiritualist and Parapsychology Collections at the University of Manitoba Archives. And it begins with a speaker tomorrow who is our guest, Roy Stemmen, who is editor of Psychic News, based out of London, England. The website for that is psychicnews.org.uk. This begins tomorrow at 7.30, and it runs all the way to December 19th. And our guests today, once again, Roy Stemmen, as well as Walter Mayertsu Erpen, Archives and Records Consultant with Survival Research Institute of Canada, who has been consulting on this exhibition. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Elizabeth Defoe Library. Thank you. Uh, Elizabeth Defoe Library. Thank you very much for the heads up. That's on the third floor, by the way, and that library. That's a great library, great spot for that. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Na, 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 na.